Hello there, it's me, your host, Pam Druckerman, and today's pod is a one-on-one with one of my favorite people and someone I have the privilege of calling a true friend. Will Welch, Global Editorial Director of GQ, is joining us today. I first met Will in 2011. I don't know if you know that, Will. It was actually 2011. (laughs) When he was at GQ Style, he had more mustache and less tattoos. Actually, looking at you right now, I would say you have more mustache now. (laughs) But the friendship was immediate as we bonded over our love of fashion, music, and all things Brooklyn. What I love most about Will is his penchant for complete honesty and authenticity, which means sometimes we don't agree, but mostly we do. And that's probably what fans and followers of GQ love about him as well. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Pam. Thanks for having me. Will took over GQ in 2019 amidst a sea of change, how lucky you were, on the heels of the Me Too movement and exactly one year preceding the global pandemic and racial awakening of the U.S. Under his guidance, GQ has expanded beyond its flagship print property into digital video podcasting, of course, and innovative brand expansions such as GQ.com's powerful shopping platform, GQ Recommends, one of my favorites, GQ Sports, and soon-to-be GQ Hype, which we'll get into. That's your new favorite, GQ Hype. That's my new favorite. I know. I I constantly, I can't, like, just stick with one. (laughs) I've been all over the place talking about GQ Hype. But anyway, we're going to get into that, too. Digital audiences have grown double digits, and video engagement is up 30%, which is pretty incredible. But being the editor of a brand titled Gentleman's Quarterly, for, Hmm. for those people that don't know what the two letters stand for, most certainly comes with its own challenges, i.e. the word gentleman. With the obvious focus on pushing women forward, DNI, gay rights, what role is there for men right now? And what is GQ going to do about it? So today, we'll get into the real real on how Will is transforming the brand and men, to a certain extent, in the face of all these challenges and where he plans on going next. I feel like today is going to be the really real real. I think the it's going to really, be really, really real real. It's going to be as real as it gets. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some <laughs> tough questions. So hopefully you'll feel comfortable. Just you know, buckle your seat. I'm comfortable. All right. Don't worry. All right, Will, so you know me. Let's let's really talk about um, what happened back in 2019. It was only two years post the Me Too movement. What was going through your mind at that time? Were you like, what am I doing? I've now just taken over GQ. The, the sentiment out around men is is not amazing. Yeah, I one of the first things I did, uh, basically, Anna Wintour called me into her office, offered me this job. I said, of course, I would be honored. There's nothing I would rather do. And then I called one of my mentors, who is a very smart woman, and she said, yikes, great time to be the straight white male leader of a men's magazine. Um, And that was like the perfect bucket of cold water and time to like immediately just start strategizing because like essentially it was the shut up and listen moment, Mm -hmm. but we are a publishing platform. We cannot shut up to shut up would mean to shut down. So I had to figure out very quickly uh, what we were going to say in the shut up and listen moment. That meant a couple different things. One of them is we began work on what I think has been one of our kind of like key brand moments Mm -hmm. since I became editor, which is the new masculinity issue. But there were a couple things that we began talking about. One of them is that GQ is not just for men. And we really, it's not really Gentleman's Quarterly anymore. It's just GQ. And GQ is a point of view. We were getting more clear and specific about the topics and what we cover than ever before. That was one of my, I I basically don't believe in the ear of the internet and general interest. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be really, really precise about what you care about and what you don't. And so I was getting really clear on that. And then also, you know, GQ stands for men's fashion. And I think 
men's fashion or like men's interest in a way it's just like grist for the mill it's a topic to talk about it's a, it's a way to express a point of view and i think when you're doing that well you can attract audiences of all kinds to what you're doing so one of the things that we can do as a brand, you know, as a media brand, as a magazine is like explore that, you know? So that's what we set out to do was like tackle that idea of norms changing from all these different points of view. Well, I think that was like one of the things that um, I respected the most about that moment. I think um, Pharrell was uh, wearing a dress. He was, a big Montclair yellow puffer gown. Correct. Um, And that was November 2019 issue, right? And Mm -hmm. I think um, Gail King, of all people, (laughs) thought, called it provocative. Yeah. And and she said it in a good way. Other media outlets like the New York Times actually gave you a hard time about, like, some of those decisions, which ironically now was, I think, a provocative moment in time for GQ. But it was also kind of like a, a culture, like, moment in time in which I don't know if anyone saw that coming from GQ. Yeah. And Donald Trump was president. There was a culture war going on and we were taking a a clear side. And I feel strongly in my heart, as you know, that we were right. Yeah. And really what we were saying is GQ is like the definitive men's media brand in America and now globally. And we have permission to say what is going on with men and with masculinity. And I think part of the reason that like the Gail Kings of the world and the New York Times, whether people agreed with our approach or they disagreed with it, they agreed with the idea that GQ had something to say in that space, that that was a topic that was ours to tackle. And was that GQ, Will, or was that you? Like how much of that was being driven by you? Both. Um, The words, the new masculinity, were I came up with those like my third day on the job. And then it was like a really exciting, challenging, provocative, like roller coaster of a conversation with my team. Like, how do we do this? Like, and then you have to step out in exactly the right way. And even though we were attacked in all sorts of different ways for the statement that we made, we weren't attacked in any way that we didn't see coming. Yeah. We weren't surprised by any of it other than just like how long the swamp trolls were like in my Twitter mentions. Like it just went on and on and on. On the whole, it was like this was the conversation that we were looking to start. And do you think, you know, I remember you saying this a long time ago. It's like, do you make content for the audience that you have or do you make content for the audience that you want? And so I guess like, do you remember saying that, by the way? Because I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'll believe you. I don't want to be alone in this, but you you absolutely did say that. Because I remember, I think there was like an aspiration, you know, even around the new masculinity. like, Like, what would this mean in terms of the audience? Did the audience you were speaking to at that time, do you think? appreciate what the new masculinity was, what it stood for, or where you were trying to take GQ? I mean, I soon thereafter had all kinds of experiences like young gay men coming into my office and sitting down and saying, you don't know me, but I just have to tell you that I had never, I'm actually going to start crying thinking about some of these conversations right now. You don't know me, but I grew up reading my dad's copies of GQ and I never thought I would see myself reflected in the pages. And now that you, you and your team are doing all this stuff, I see myself and it's like how much it means to them and how inspiring it is to them. And they just, the thing that struck me is they just never thought it would be possible well, I think to they see felt themselves reflected. Correct. I yeah. think they felt seen. I also yeah. think, for whatever it's worth, do you think this gave straight men permission to evolve? So while, you know, maybe the gay man felt seen, yeah. you know, like, 
I mean, and I think this is pretty powerful, actually, if you think about it from this perspective. Like, do you think it gave them permission to evolve, to be more fluid, to express their masculinity in, in, in new ways? Absolutely. And those are like two sides of the same coin. And it just, the idea, that idea of permission, I think, is really important. And we did this big statement issue, but really everything we've been doing has been going through this new masculinity filter. So the issue after the new masculinity issue, Brad Pitt was on the cover. And we had this very new masculinity conversation with him about what it was like growing up in the Ozarks, the kind of masculinity that was instilled in him, and how his maturation and evolution as a man has been learning that if you can't access your feelings in any way, that that isn't going to serve you in the long run. So he was kind of like reflecting on this like unspooling mm. of the masculinity that was instilled in him uh, as a child and how what that process has been like and the highs and lows of that process. So, you know, it's a Brad Pitt cover. He's Brad Pitt, coolest man alive. Like, what do you do? We wanted to have a conversation with him about adulthood and maturation and learning to get in touch with his feelings and what it's like to be a father and what he learned as a kid and what he's had to do to unravel some of those things and evolve. Like, I really think of GQ as a living exploration of what it means to evolve as a person. And yes, we talk about cool boots. Well, I was going to say, and, and sweet what was he wearing at the end the of the day? Um, let me ask you this, though. How do you think this topic has aged over the past few years? You know, I was thinking about this. Like, what do you think has been the long-lasting effect of this? And I don't know, like, how do you continue to push this forward at GQ? I mean, is yeah. this an always, like you said that that was the very next cover, but like, is this always on? Yeah, it's always on. So when we do a GQ sports issue, you can be sure that conversations about like mental health, which is just such a important topic in the sports space because as men encounter difficulties with their mental health, it affects their performance. And so there's been all this really interesting changes with athletes seeking mental health counseling in a way that used to be unmanly. Like you're supposed to be a warrior. You can't have help right. talking about your feelings. That's not possible. And so these, like when we do sports, that's going to be part of the conversation, you know, and really everything goes through that lens. When we talk about grooming, we're increasingly talking about not just male grooming, but male beauty. Mm -hmm. um, GQ is about style and leaning into what's next. And as men learn to express themselves through fashion and increasingly through grooming, at some point it crosses into like, this isn't like getting the right haircut. This is like personal expression in a mm -hmm. way that historically through women's magazines would be framed as beauty. So we intentionally sort of like begin to bring that vocabulary into how we're framing See, Women are the trying to go space. the other way. We're trying to be yeah. like, why the fuck do I have self to wear this lipstick? Like you don't need but any of this stuff. It's, no, that's so true. But it's all these things are like crossing over in all these incredible ways where now your sexual identity, your gender identity, those things don't have to be tied. Okay, let me back up for a second, actually, because this is like a really important change that we've made at GQ. Historically, GQ, if you think about it, let's just talk about the fashion for a second, right? Okay. It was like, we are going to create this cookie cutter of a man. And as long as you shove yourself into this, you will be stylish. You will be cool. You will be successful at business because you're wearing the right suit that fits the right way. And the right shirt goes with the right tie. Right? So what we did is we were like, 
Creating a cookie cutter for men to shove themselves into is no longer modern and it's no longer serving us. So let's get rid of it. So now instead of talking about what shirt goes with what tie or if your suit doesn't fit you this way, you are unstylish and uncool. What we do is we just encourage men to express themselves to but don't, fearlessly. Don't, but, but don't – I mean I'm looking at right, you right now. So like yeah. I could say that you you probably have a sense of style. But like isn't it true that some – I won't say men, people yeah. don't. Yeah. And actually yes. come to GQ or came to GQ for that kind of service. So are you saying that now that like regardless of whether or not someone has a, a you know, because again, you, you, you've you spent a lot of time reminding me that no matter what we're talking about, it's all intersects with fashion yeah. at the end of the day. So sure. how do you do both? How do you say express yourself even though someone may be wearing the ugliest shirt you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah. Well, with the wrong tie and like a completely bad pair of shoes. There's no wrong tie. Like, I mean, there's no wrong I tie. Know. I don't know if that's true. So basically, the, I don't dif- know if Anna would agree with the you difference, maybe not. The, the difference is instead of do this, don't do that. It's like here is this slew of ideas. And yes, we still have authority and we still express our voice. But it's more of a mood board and encouragement than it is a series of rules that you must follow in order to achieve the outcome of being a stylish man. Or maybe it's not like you know, being a stylish man doesn't look a very specific way anymore. It can look and so many different ways. With all these things that you're working on and we think about the direction of the brand and, again, like, so much success, does anything ever feel – I've been wanting to ask you this for a while, hmm. actually – out of bounds or too provocative? Yeah, some ideas are – it's not that they're too provocative. It's that they're not well enough formed so sometimes we'll be in meetings where we have these like blue sky brainstorms and somebody will have like a really provocative idea that somehow like touches a hot button on the culture. And if it's not like fully realized, that is what's too provocative. If there's something like off or wrong or like sort of um, miss Mm-hmm. not just not like fully there. And so usually what that means, if somebody like on my team has one of these say, ideas where everybody like <gasps> it takes the breath out of everybody's lungs, that means there's something there, but it, we really, you really have to like stick with the idea, kick the tires, like sensitivity reads. We have all these layers to really develop these ideas until they're truly ready mm-hmm. for public consumption. And that was like the incredibly dynamic, you know, staff conversation that I talked about around the new masculinity issue where some people were like, at first, they were like, whoa, 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 we cannot go there. And then it was like, well, we can go there if we do it impeccably. Mm -hmm. So that to me is always the standard. Like we can say anything as long as we A, truly believe in it and B, are doing it like impeccably. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of like work and second guessing and fine tuning and all these things. And like I said at the beginning, we, we are a publishing platform. We got to keep publishing, yeah. you know, we got to wake up in the morning every day and basically like do live journalism, live social media and, you know, mistakes happen, but we try to have as few of them as possible. And when we mess up, we try to own it. And so far we've navigated very well, but again, we don't do it to your point, And I do genuinely appreciate you saying this. We don't do it from a place of hesitance or fear or mm-hmm. apologizing for being a men's magazine. We're like, no, we're going to be the most modern iteration of a men's magazine you could imagine. So let me ask you this. Do you represent the new masculinity? In a sense, I guess, yes. So in the sense of like, 
the new masculinity doesn't look one way and it doesn't look like me, but in terms of a way of thinking and an approach to the world, yes, totally. And do I fit into this? Like, can Yeah, a, of course. Can a woman like – Yeah. Part of the idea is we all have the masculine and the feminine inside of us. Like my wife who is a um, herbalist and a holistic therapist has this idea of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. It's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we have those things inside of us. So for me as a man, I can tap into like the divine warrior within myself and that can be – really strong expression that can be really important that can be really empowering for me and when it's done the right way there's nothing wrong with that right i don't have to deny the part of myself Mm -hmm. that is a man and when we published the new masculinity issue and we got all this criticism the criticism was you're trying to turn men into girls you're trying to put men in dresses you are undermining the very basics of science like this is against god this is against science and i think the exact opposite is true, right? Me understanding the balance of the divine feminine and divine masculine within myself and figuring out how to express that and how to like walk that every day is godliness itself. Mm-hmm. And that is what, in our way, we don't necessarily put it that way every issue on the cover line. That probably wouldn't go over that well. Right. But in our way, that is what we've been expressing, like one fashion shoot at a time, one story at a time, one reported feature at a time. And I know, like, we could spend a lot more time talking about where men kind of fit in today because I do think that, like, this concept of masculinity isn't so clear-cut, you know? And I think—and also, by the way, I didn't know that we just refer to GQ as GQ now and, like, Gentleman's Quarterly, it's like, you know, that's past. Um, No, I know. You can show it to me. I got it. Like, I already saw the letters. But I'm just saying that, like— It is actually still on the spine. See? So I'm not totally right. But I want to move to— as you think about this, you know, this this ideology, I don't know if yeah. it's an ideology, the new masculinity, but in a way it kind of feels like an ideology. I believe in role models and and looking to someone greater than yourself to set goals. And I think a, a lot of people do. And it's about seeing representation in a community. And I think about that just as a, as a gay woman. So I wanted to yeah. ask you in general, who really represents in your mind the GQ new masculinity today? You know, can you talk about some of your most recent features and covers and by the way, like, will you have someone that you don't think is representative on the cover or featured? Or is that like, that's a qualifier now, move on? I think... Two-part question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me let me start at the beginning. So my first, the celebrity on the cover of the first, my first issue as editor-in-chief of USGQ was Frank Ocean. And okay. to me, that was like a perfect expression, right? Here's a guy who had made a bold statement in a space where having like loving or sexual feelings for men by a man was not accepted. And he made this statement on Tumblr of all places about having, you know, complicated feelings of love and sexuality and everything else in regards to another man. He made a statement about that on Tumblr while also refusing to be labeled as gay, straight, bi, or anything else. And so on the cover of my first issue, it's Frank Ocean wearing a Prada turtleneck with flowers on it, beaming, smiling, and looking away from the camera. It's like breaking all these traditional rules of a magazine cover. He's somebody who doesn't participate in magazine features very often. And that, for me, was like the perfect statement. And that was pre the that was before we did the new masculinity issue. So it was already present, you know. From there, you've seen like a whole mix. It's um, arguably one of the like sexiest 
straight men alive, ASAP Rocky with like his shirt pulled over his head, grease on his abs, wearing a kilt and leather boots covered in buckles, but looking like owning it in like an, an incredible, an incredibly embodied way. It's Will Smith kind of like what I said about Brad Pitt. So here's like sort of an older generation for, you know, probably on the older side of our average readership reflecting on a complicated life, a complicated marriage, really going there and having that kind of conversation with us. I remember the first time we covered Asia Kate Dillon was for GQ Style. And it was the first time that I'm aware of, of GQ or GQ Style profiling somebody who identified as gender non-binary. And at the time, Asia Kate Dillon, they very much like put that on the map in a pop culture conversation. So it's all of these things at once. It's all of these people. And for me, it's not about like, do they fit into the new masculinity framework? But more like, how can we approach almost anyone Mm -hmm. and have a conversation that isn't just about this, but that is seen through this prism? Listen, when you have a brand like GQ that it has as much equity in its name, everyone thinks they know what it's about, right? So part of that is, makes it easier, but part of that also makes it harder. And I think what's so interesting about what you've done, where the brand has gone, isn't just about, and I've seen this, we've seen this happen how many times where a new editor comes in and takes a brand in a new direction. But so many things that you've done are so poignant. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you here is because it isn't just about, you know, were you the fifth editor that GQ has ever had and and your take on, you know, GQ in this moment in time, like, and, and, you know, all of your amazing editors and, and coming off the heels of, of Me Too have really started to really reshape what it is to mean to be a man and, and what, what does it mean to be even a part of the brand. But, but here's the reality. Only 8% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies today are women. First yep. of all, how fucked up is that? Yep. And that's 41 of 500. So understanding this reality, I, I have to ask, given the name, what is the composite of the GQ audience I know you're not speaking only to men, but is it like, is it 50-50? Is it that significant of, of amount of women that are actually like coming to the brand now? Yeah, our data says it's about 55-45 across platforms. That's significant. Men to women. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously we have trans readers, gender non-binary readers, like the whole spectrum. So, but, so doesn't that like, I guess like where I'm going with this is, does it start to feel like gender is an outdated concept? Yeah, so what's interesting to me isn't a yes or no answer to that question, but it's like all the ways that it is being bent. And what I find, and you can see this walking, you know, go to Tompkins Square Park on a Saturday Mm -hmm. and see the young pot-smoking kids and how they are expressing themselves. And if you compare that to the kids sitting on the lawn outside of my high school, I, 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 I just feel like young people especially are able to express themselves in all these ways. And before we had to like pick our box and, and squeeze into it. But does that make like, I I think there's a lot of people out there who would say that men and women, they they, they would acknowledge fluidity is like a real thing now, Yeah, but they would still say they think men and women are distinctly different. Do you think that's true? I, that for me is like really unhelpful. Um, it just doesn't, I don't like, I don't feel the need to, again, say yes or no to it. I just like, well, because don't, you don't, don't have really, an opinion or you just don't think it's, I, I just don't think that way. But for instance, 
even though the lines have been blurred, mm-hmm. there is still a difference between the men's fashion industry and the women's fashion industry. And I go to the men's fashion shows to every single one. And right. then I was over at the women's shows for like two days to handle some business. And there's still like a men's department and a women's department. Right. And I'm like, is that- I'm not going to like not walk into any of those stores. But when you increasingly, you know, out of some sense of like yeah. boycotting or something, but when you increasingly see women's silhouettes in the men's department or you see young men or however they might identify, but, you know, buying a handbag from the quote unquote women's department. Like that that's the way it is. You're now. speaking to me right now yeah. because like even when, when I saw you there, I was, I went into a Tom Brown store. They're like, Oh, the women's store is like, you know, couple, you know, but I was like, no, no, no. I actually like, like I want know. to be here. Yeah. I'm not, this <laughs> I is chose stuff. here. I chose yeah, here yeah. and I'm act- and I actually ended up buying an awesome jacket there. And I actually loved the way that it fit me. It would and, be amazing if you went in the Tom Brown men's store and then bought like one of the gowns <laughs> that are like designed for men, but are women. If no, you just like got the snake to eat its tail. But it's true. Then and there. But it's yeah. true. I mean, and it's not just because, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I actually do think that there's a, there's a little bit of a, as fluid as we've become. And, and, and I think maybe GQ has been a huge part of this. But I also don't have like a a fluidity agenda mm-hmm. either. I'm just like um, you're fluid about fluidity. Very, we keep the fluid. Even the fluidity is kept fluid. But you know what I mean? It's like we don't. You will see covers of GQ that are like very traditional, like ma- men being mask. You know, mm-hmm. and that we're not shy about that either. It's I, just like whatever is right for the moment and whatever is right for that person. I think what, what, what GQ has done and, and really this question around, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the role of men today. And ultimately, I think the new masculinity has kind of like opened up this part of the way men felt like they needed to look or the way they needed to act to defend or be on offense of their masculinity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to shift gears here for a moment and talk about the unpopularity of men, because I do think that that's a real thing. And in your opinion, how do men navigate today's world? Is it hard to be a man right now? So that's, that's question number one. You know, my, my, um, my wife and I, I think, you know, are trying to raise three confident, uh, empathetic young men. And it's a question I find on my mind more often than not. So like, do you, do you think it's hard to be a man right now? Um, I do not, but I think for me to just be sort of like a fully embodied adult male and comfortable in my own skin and all that, I, it did take a lot of work. And I think that is what I was kind of reflecting in those Brad Pitt and Will Smith conversations too. They're like, man, I, I took some lumps to get here. Who, and, Brad Pitt? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of lumps did he take? I mean, honestly, Will Smith, yes, Brad and Will. What? What? Tell me about their hearts. Well, look, you know, we, we do – our like raw material is often celebrity for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And so that's often the the way that we approach these conversations. Is it hard to be a man? I think they're all still, despite Me Too, despite Black Lives Matter, despite the protests in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, there are still all kinds of privileges of being a man. And you're the you threw out those numbers about CEOs, right? And how quickly is that changing? Like our new masculinity issue and everybody marching in the streets and it's still like straight white male CEOs. So is it hard to be a man? No. And one thing that 
really was encouraging to me is we did this survey in the new masculinity issue. And it said, the of the men that we surveyed, 97% said that expectations for male behavior have changed in the last 10 years. 97%. And this is in 2019. And it, so that means it's at 99.9% here, right. here in 2022. So men are aware that their behavior is up for discussion, is up for criticism, is being looked at, and I would say needs to evolve. And for somebody to say, hey, you need to change, hey, there's an opportunity here for you to evolve, mm -hmm. you don't have to take that as criticism or a threat. It's a very old masculinity thing to interpret everything as a threat, you know? And I guess what a, a phrase that I haven't gotten to yet, but that keeps coming to mind as we're talking is like, we are trying to make a, a magazine and to lead a multi-platform brand that is in some way about like emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and making it okay for men who were not allowed to have emotions, much less emotional intelligence. This is how a lot of us were raised, but it's for my generation, it's not, this may have been like how we were raised, but it's not how we felt moving through the world. And now, you know, People like me have the opportunity to be the editor of a magazine like GQ, and we've got something very different to say. Well, you know, I couldn't agree with that more, by the way, because I think having three little boys and they have these two moms, you know, I can see, you know, they're they're empathetic and they cry and they're, you know, they're trying to figure out the world in all the ways that you would imagine. Yeah. And I do think that, um, you know, I was going to ask you this question, but this is, is sort, sort of a compliment. I mean, I do feel like GQ you know, is, is really playing an active role and not to reflect back on the new masculinity again, but like, look, it's, it's, it's having, you know, people would say it's, it's having a moment, but I do think it's actually more significant than that as you recently took over globally in that, you know, GQ does have a really big platform and it does have something to say and it does have a point of view that that's, you know, while you talk about like it's about exploration and fluidity, it actually has something to say that's yeah. pretty specific in a way. Do you feel... You're welcome, by the way. I said all those nice things about GQ, so it's fine. But Thank you, Pam. You're welcome. Um, but do you personally feel like you're – and I feel like you're so, like, humble, but, like, maybe you cannot be humble for a second. Do you feel like you're changing culture? Like, do you actually recognize that that's part of what GQ is doing? Or are you just – you're just making a fashion brand and no, the no, end? No, We're, no, absolutely. Like, we – get up in the morning to like impact culture. Absolutely. And do we feel like we're doing that? Yes. I think me, my team, because we see it and we, you know, we can't, can't deny it. And sometimes you need like a really swampy Twitter mentions <laughs> to realize that you're actually Im impacting culture, you know, and that it isn't necessarily like your mom or your chief revenue officer telling you it's amazing. It's people mm -hmm. telling you that you're the absolute devil. And that you are ruining culture. And that's yeah. when you realize, wow, we're like really having an impact here. A huge lesson for me, like one of the biggest lessons of the new masculinity for me was that when you're really clear on what your brand is about and the statements that you make on like a brand level are in that very specific lane where you have the right to lead that conversation, that's when you have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times, and we do this sometimes, like, you know, we make up some themed issue and we like make some grand statement and it's a really fun, like editorial conceit and we have a blast and we tell some great stories. That's well and good. But when GQ is clear on what it's about and what it's 
potential cultural impact could be. And when you make a really strong, clear values driven statement in that space, that's when people really react. And so people felt that GQ had the right to weigh in on the evolving state of masculinity. And that's why it had that reaction. So it just as somebody who's like a brand leader and trying to navigate like to your question, how can we make an impact? That was like such a huge lesson for me and something I talk about all the time, which is that idea of like, okay, that's fine. We could make some big declaration on this topic or that topic or the other topic, but does it matter coming from us? And if so, why? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, this, what we're trying to do is reflect the full spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it isn't, that's what I meant about like, we don't have a fluidity agenda either. You know what I mean? It's not like we are going to get men, all men to begin wearing dresses um, or, you know, we've failed our mission. Like it has nothing to do with that. It's just to say, if you are a suit and tie guy in in a era that where the suit and tie are like very far from the center of the culture, then like be that. God bless you. Mm-hmm. And you can find that in in the pages of our magazine. And if you are a super masculine male who you who identifies as a super masculine male, but you also like to wear a yellow Montclair puffer gra- gown, especially for a photo shoot because it seems like a good time, go for it, you know? And I really think that one of the most powerful like tools in the GQ arsenal is the element of surprise. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what you're going to get from us month to month or post to post on the website. Well, I think that's, I think what you just said is, is kind of it, right? In that, you know, you can be a super masculine guy that's wearing a puffy, like yellow Montclair dress. And I think that in and of itself, conflating those two things is I think what makes GQ so exciting. So let, let's talk about the future for a minute. Cool. So in the time since you joined the brand, you guys have launched uh, GQ Sports, and now, as you know, very excited about GQ Hype. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who are not familiar with all these verticals, GQ Sports is wildly popular in that it was a brand that originally launched on YouTube, right? It started yep. out as a digital video brand. So can you talk to our audience a little bit about, like, what is the purpose of GQ Sports and, and, and kind of, like, where you're taking it and then quickly move us over to GQ Hype because I'd like to talk about that as well. Yeah, sure. So GQ has a long legacy of um, sports coverage. One of my favorite GQ shoots of all time is Richard Avedon shooting Michael Jordan. And historically and in the present moment, our sports coverage, when we just look at our audience data, it over-indexes. So even against other great GQ content, more people read our sports coverage. And so it's just something that we saw an opportunity, especially as we really began to see greater and greater scale in the digital video space. We were like, let's create GQ Sports as its own sub-brand with its own voice under the GQ umbrella. Let's focus on digital video first, and then let's expand other platforms. So that is the arc of exactly what we've been doing. It started as a YouTube brand. We hired the writer Tyler Tynes, who was sports writer of the year. According to to one site in his first year at GQ, he just came in and he was doing interviews on GQ.com, came in and just really broke things open for us. And really what GQ has in sports that no other outlet can rival is access to athletes. They just want to be in GQ. They want to get interviewed by GQ. They want to be photographed or videoed by GQ that we are like their favorite brand. And we are just making more of that than ever before. But we really see, 
you know, going outside of just um, doing interviews on GQ.com and doing videos on uh, the GQ Sports YouTube channel, we increasingly see more and more opportunity across all of our many great platforms. And, and I think, interestingly enough, has had so much success. It was growing faster than ESPN Sports Center for, for, for the Gen Z male. So I think pretty impressive in terms of just how it's been accepted, yeah. number one, but also just like how fast it's growing. And we did kind of backwards, like started as a digital video brand and then did the first ever GQ Sports issue of GQ with the February 2022 issue. Steph Curry, Mohamed Salah, and Shohei Otani, three of the biggest athletes in the world on a global GQ sports cover, and that was a huge hit for us. So we're just going to keep pushing. And talk to us about, you know, GQ hype, because I think this is a brand that, not a brand, this is a kind of a, how would you explain GQ hype to our like, audience? Like a platform or a franchise. Correct. Yeah. Yes, a platform yeah. or a franchise. So GQ hype was started at uh, GQ UK. Where we spent 2021 turning GQ, there were 21 editions of GQ around the globe, and we didn't really share or collaborate historically. And now, last year, we changed these 21 editions into this amazing global network. And we were kind of like, doing an audit across the network and saying, what do all these different editions that used to just all independently do their own thing, what's some really cool things that some of them are doing that the rest of us should be doing? And GQ UK had this really cool idea called GQ Hype, which was a weekly profile with essentially like a social cover. So on Instagram, every Monday they would release a hype cover. And we just thought that is really cool, resonates with the brand, and was a huge hit with both audiences and with talent, the talent that populated. Like people just wanted GQ hype, like GQ sports, you hear the name and you can already see it. You know, I don't really have to explain it. Sure, I have to say like what platform it's on and how it works. But when you hear GQ sports, you're like, yeah, got it. Mm -hmm. And we felt like GQ hype was that kind of uh, franchise as well. And it, it was just doing really well in the UK. So we have... Um, adopted it across the globe. Listen, people are starved for curation. Yeah. So I think a hype list is like kind of exactly what you would imagine. And it allows us to be so reactive because like Correct. GQ hype, what is everybody talking about right. right now? As you know, like print lead times, even a digital video lead time, like that takes a few weeks to shoot, yeah. edit. GQ hype, we can just be like, this is what everybody's talking about right now. Let's, let's get it going. I think it's going to be kind of amazing. So let me ask you this question. We're, we're almost at the end, but um, yeah. I was going to ask you, like, w what keeps you up at night about this job? Is the answer not doing something impeccably? Which, by the way, I love that you use that word. Uh, <laughs> no, because we are very focused on that. So what keeps me up at night is just there's always... In this environment and with the nature of digital platforms, there's just... You could always be doing more. Mm -hmm. And... Some days I have a hard time saying I did enough today mm -hmm. and I can like shut it down in peace because I'm like, there's like always, I was going to say 17, but it's probably more like 177 other things that could have really been, it would have really helped if they had gotten done. Yes. There's always going to be something. And what, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, leading a awesome, dynamic, excited team. No two ways about it. Like learning to lead people. You know, at first it was like a couple people and then it was like an intimidating amount of people. And now it's like people who are all over the world. And I just want to do that really well. So that's what that's what gets me up in the morning. Well, like, that's a way better 
answer than what gets me out of bed. What in the gets morning. you out of bed in the morning? Breakfast. <laughs> oh. I swear to God. What do you have for breakfast? I mean, actually, what gets me out of bed in the morning is my wife yelling at me to come help with the kids. Dude, but get second, out of bed. Well, I mean, damn it, I should have <laughs> just said breakfast and ended this thing. I mean, you're deep and you're fluid. Um, listen, <laughs> Will, it has been a pleasure having you on. I'm really, really psyched about where the GQ brand not only is going, but where it is. If I could be quite honest. Thank you. And um, I think that you know, ultimately, um, I think men are better for it. I think women are better for it. And I think a world in which we are just moving culture forward and and giving everyone a kind of a place to, you know, be a part of the fashion community as well, which is actually really fun and exciting, is something that you have to be really proud of as well. So thank you for having me, Pam. It's an honor and a pleasure and you know it. All right. Thank you, Will. Well, that's all the time we have for today, even though I think Will and I could speak for hours. I want to sincerely thank Will for his time and his grace as I put him on the hot seat today. Thanks for listening. Feel free to listen to past and future episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Music. Until next time, I'm Pam Druckerman. 